across the galaxy. This is where conspiracy on the wild side meets the perspective of a lifetime. This is the Free Zone with your host, Freeman. Hello and welcome to the Free Zone. Well, tonight we are talking with world-renowned authority on the occult side of the Vatican and the real Illuminati. Leo Zagami is exposing for the first time the secret plan of the elite for the establishment of a new golden age. We feel it coming. This is built to help. We're built by the help of an alien AI, which is something I've always felt was the case. Uh, Leo calls this cyber Satan and cyber Satan is set to enslave mankind and turn the elite into gods by 2030. We're going to dig deep into Leo Zagami's latest book, uh, the Confessions of Illuminati, Volume 9. And this is going to be one for the books, folks. So tune in, tune your ears in, and get ready for a reveal of this dystopian reality with Leo Zagami as we discuss the new world disorder. Leo, welcome to the Free Zone. It was a pleasure uh, being with you, Freeman. Uh, somebody who I regard and I uh regard as, as as not only a friend but also i held in high esteem for a number of years because you have always been uh involved with this research so you know the importance of exposing certain things and i'm glad that i'm discussing uh, the new book with you because i'm sure that our brainstorming together will bring out some very interesting material for our listeners today and uh, as you can see from the table of contents there's a lot we can discuss absolutely Yes, it, uh, it looks like a fantastic deep dive into all of this because uh, people don't connect these pieces together, the occult and the uh, technocratic. It, it's, uh, it's out there in the ether, but no one puts it together like you do, Leo. Well, uh, I had the, the I was rather lucky to have a direct experience, as you know, within Freemasonry, within certain societies that we commonly refer to as the Illuminati. And in step one, this is a book. First of all, I want to explain a little bit about the concept behind this book because it's a little bit different from the other books. Uh, first of all, I wanted a book that could be read uh, without really reading the other ones. So a book of uh, uh, in, living in its own dimension, let's say. A book that uh, brings you in an imaginary journey through seven steps. The number seven, as you know, is a very important number. And... Uh, uh, in these seven steps, basically, we will be discussing, uh, as the subtitle of, of the book suggests, which is seven steps to the secrets of the new world disorder from transhumanism and immortality to Gnostic Jesus, UFOs and insect witchcraft. Now, when it comes to technology and to transhumanism, to my knowledge, there has been nobody who has actually published an internal documentation from Freemasonry and the Illuminati regarding this topic. And instead, in this book, I show the documents, I show the, the, the photos, the, the diplomas of these people, everything. Uh, and uh, the first guy who I talk about, of course, is uh, the mentor, let's say, the, the guy who um, is very well known uh, at a, an academic level, but also at a Masonic level, because he has... Uh, been the grandmaster of uh, the Italian Grand Orient for a number of years after the P2 scandal, Giuliano Di Bernardo. And in 2002, he also founded the Academy of the Illuminati. But aside from that, in 1993, he uh, created this uh, schismatic body, which became the regular Grand Lodge of Italy, recognized by the United Grand Lodge of England. So this is a very credible character. He's also a professor. He works with the Jesuits of course, like most Jesuit agents. Uh, and him, uh, he has also a disciple, an apprentice, uh, which is uh, called Dr. Nicholas Laos, who operates in Greece, he's from Greece, and who has been uh, bestowed by Di Bernardo the title to um, open up uh, this new headquarters of the Illuminati also in Greece and to have a very senior position within the Academy of the Illuminati. And Laos has written really extensively uh, about transhumanism, both uh, in a book he, he, he did uh, regarding uh, Freemasonry, 
which he likes to he he, he likes to be seen as a reformer of Freemasonry, and uh, as a reformer of Freemasonry, he's uh, actually he views transhumanism. He said he said it himself actually as a new form of Freemasonry, which is <laughs> insane. <laughs> but but this is how it is. I mean, I'm just bringing you what the guys. Uh, um discussing and and so i thought it would be very interesting for for my uh, readers to finally have some consistent material that proves what are the plans of the illuminati for transhumanism how they view transhumanism as something even at times transcendental they are already working behind the scenes for, in some way, uh, trying to justify themselves. They know that transhumanism is going to have a lot of ethical implications. So they are already constructing a defense system, you know. And in fact, in his, uh, in his uh, work, uh, he says, you know, in the end, that basically uh, who rejects transhumanism is a bigot. And uh, in, in in his eyes, so this is already something that, of course, a lot of people will find very, very annoying, to say the least. But uh, it's also very important to see how all this is 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 connected to a very ancient tradition, because Gnosticism goes back almost two thousand years to the time of actually. Some say that Gnosticism actually predates Christianity. But Gnosticism became also the number one heresy that endangered Christianity. And one of their main beliefs was also their beliefs in achieving immortality. So uh, in, uh, uh, in the opening chapter of my book, I discuss this uh, transcendental meta-algorithmic transhumanism, which is basically the title of this essay, the entelechy of the human being by Dr. Nicholas Laos, which demonstrates that the today's Illuminati is simply following on that ancient path that brings us back to the Philosopher's Stone, to the Elixir Vitae, to the whole concept that sooner or later they will find a way to achieve this immortality. And at the same time, Dr. Nicholas Laus has written also a book called The Modern and Perfecting Right of Symbolic Masonry, in which is basically it's a method of practicing the degrees of symbolic masonry and of the accepted uh, ancient and accepted Scottish Rite, in which the guy also shows how, how leftist he is, because uh, he even brings within the teachings in, in, in the you know, like the instructions of each degree. He even brings the name of Karl Marx. So just to show you how uh, how sick this kind of people are, especially because you have to understand that the Illuminati started, of course, with Adam Bishop, who was pushing uh, his whole concept as within, of course, the teachings that were given to his uh, followers, his uh, initiates, as the original form of Christianity, because uh, Gnosticism was uh, almost uh, was almost forgotten, but uh, the Illuminati first, and then the Freemasons and Albert Pike, for example, in the Morals and Dogmas, started to really push uh, this concept that the the Freemasons were preserving real Christianity. This was the whole lie that. Uh, uh, in some way, they they, they have been uh, they, they have been pushing. So it was very important to me to show the, that this is not just uh, like you know speculations of what the Illuminati might be doing or say. No, no, this is internal documents which I cite word by word at times, and then of course I comment, I criticize, and I expose in their inconsistencies. When it comes to, for example, Adam Weishap, the fact that he says uh, that uh, real Christianity is being preserved within uh, Freemasonry is preposterous, is completely ridiculous. 
just as I think that Albert Pike mixed up certain things that were completely erroneous also at an historical level, like mixing the essence with the Gnostics. These are two different groups. The essence were never Gnostics. There's a lot of confusion, but after the discovery of uh, both the Nagamadi Sea Scrolls and, and sorry, the Nagamadi um, and then the Dead Sea Scrolls, these two things are different, as you know. One is something that originates in Coptic, in Egypt, and it's actually has a Gnostic base. The Nagamadi discovery has a Gnostic base. But because both the Nagamadi discovery and the Dead Sea Scrolls happened more or less in the same period because the Nagamadi library was discovered, the uh, codices uh, in Upper Egypt in 1945, while the Dead Sea Scrolls started to be unveiled in 1946. A lot of people thought that there was some kind of uh, similarity. Maybe they came from the same source, but it's completely different. I mean, the Nagamadi library is different in the language that is used, uh, and as well as the content, because the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, might include stuff like, for example, the Book of Enoch. But the Book of Enoch is not Gnosticism. The Book of Enoch actually predates Christianity and is something that, as you know, is accepted by the Ethiopian Church only, but it's definitely not Gnosticism. So I wanted, uh, with this book, to expose for the first time the inconsistencies in the teachings of these people and i chose for for especially in the chapter dedicated to all this i chose adam Veshap because of course he's the founder of the illuminati and then i exposed of course albert pike which is the great reformer of what is considered to this day the most influential and practiced right here in america the ancient accepted scottish right and then, of course, John Yarker, who might be a minor figure for some people. I don't know if you ever heard of John Yarker. He's the author of The Arcane Schools. But yeah. John Yarker was the one who actually, in 1910, sold the 33rd degree to Alistair Crowley. Uh-huh. <laughs> because, and that is an act of simony in itself. And when we say act of simony, we go back to the first Gnostic, which is Simon Magus. Now, I don't know if you are a bit acquainted with Simon Magus, but Simon Magus... Uh, came around immediately after Jesus uh, was crucified and basically disappeared from the scene. Either he ascended, died, or went somewhere else, as some people claim. But the thing is that the the Gnostics have a whole set of beliefs which are incompatible with with Christians and also with Judaism. Because let's not forget that as part of Gnosticism is also Jewish, not necessarily Christian, it's Jewish heresy. Um, it's people who didn't want to respect the mosaic laws and wanted to do something completely different. Now, the essence are a different thing. I don't know if you ever followed the Dead Sea Scrolls, Nagamadi controversy that was eventually cleared in the end of the 60s, and that uh, probe, probe uh, basically gave evidence that these uh, two uh, set of manuscripts were completely from different sources and have nothing really in common because the Dead Sea Scroll is a traditional uh, Judaism, rabbinic Judaism, that uh, in some way was trying to live uh, some kind of a different experience, but they were not Gnostics. And then there is a lot of misunderstanding also regarding the figure of St. John the Baptist, because as you know, Freemasonry has always put forward these two saints, St. John the Baptist and St. John the Evangelist, as representing two periods of the year, the vernal um, equinox and, the, and, and of course the, the summer equinox. Uh, this, the, the two saints represent in, in the minds of the Freemasons these two periods of the year, and St. John the Baptist himself uh, is regarded still to this day by the Mandeans, who are actually Gnostics, the only surviving Gnostic sect is the Mandeans. But when Freemasonry wanted to relaunch Gnosticism, they didn't do it in a traditional way, meaning, you know, 
going to maybe uh, the original Mandeans and get uh, their own lineage, um, study with them, and maybe get their own apostolic, whatever lineage they have. No, what they did was that this um, guy who was in France, who was actually a, an archivist in uh, uh, the Grand Orient of France, who had been a uh, Freemason and who had also tried to be in his uh, earlier years a Jesuit but who was kicked out because he was a compulsive masturbator Jules Doniel was the guy who relaunched the Gnostic Church Revival and he did it in the most unorthodox and heretical fashion possible because he did it thanks to necromancy to an act of necromancy they gathered uh, together with uh, the Illuminati of the time in the headquarters of the Theosophical Society in France. And after uh, entering an, in an act of mediumship with the old uh, Albigians and Cater, as you know, the Caters and the Albigians were also some, somehow connected to the Gnostics. And they were heretics and they were, of course, exterminated by the church. So he was spiritually consecrated in a spiritual experience in 1888 and not in a line of apostolic succession. This means that uh, already the, the beginning of this neo-gnostic revival, this neo-gnostic church is very doubtful. But this is the church that then immediately he bestowed, he consecrated a number of bishops for his Eglise Gnostic. Most notably, the most famous one was Gerard Dencus, the head of the Martinist order. And then he, this uh, Gnostic lineage in 1908 started to be given also to other Illuminati, people like uh, Theodore Royce, uh, Arnold Krumheller. They did a big uh, conference, spiritual uh, Masonic conference in France, in Paris. And uh, uh, eventually... It will reach, of course, uh, Alistair Crowley, who entered the OTO and then later on will become its leader. But uh, Gnosticism was very open, in a way, to heresies. So Crowley was, uh, was then convinced that his own revelation in 1904 of the Book of the Law could change forever Gnosticism. So, as you can see, there is elements here of interest for those people who want to understand more about the real beliefs of the Illuminati, not the fictional beliefs. So in my book, uh, there is material from the various degrees of the Illuminati of Adam Bishop that talk about Jesus, why they are dangerous in a way, why I deem them as dangerous and as inconsistent with real Christianity. And then at the same time, I explain how the Gnostics 2,000 years ago were magicians and occultists, probably predate Christianity from the Sumerian times, and that um, they were the ones who uh, infiltrated Christianity right at the beginning because they saw Jesus as a figure that could be also used. At times, the what is nowadays there is a lot of importance given to the Satians, the Gospel of Judas, for example. You remember when it was discovered by... Uh, it was promoted after by National Geographic. Uh, there was a publication regarding it. And uh, the the whole thing about Gnosticism is uh, that uh, it infiltrated Freemasonry. And this is confirmed, actually, by even to Tobias Charton, who is known for his famous documentary on the Gnostics, the old Gnostics, the, the ancient Gnostics. In, in, in the, at the end of the 80s, he did this uh, documentary with Channel 4 in England. And after uh, that, there was definitely a revival of Gnosticism in place, even especially after Ellen Page's Gnostic Gospels. So um, I don't know if you want to ask me a little bit about uh, the, the this topic, if you want to know more, uh, um, what is your take on Gnosticism, first of all, Freeman? Yes, and I definitely have a few things bouncing around in this head. Uh, <laughs> So my understanding of Gnosticism is the idea that Earth is a fallen realm and that yes. Jehovah is a insane God. 
is evil. It's yes. evil, you know. So first of all, we are in front of a clear heresy because when you say that God is evil, you know, and then you have, of course, also the the concept of the number seven, which uh, basically the number seven is represented by the seven archons, you know, that uh, um, that uh, are the probably the seven planets at this point, the seven planetary angels also for, for the alchemists. But for the Gnostics, these are evil forces that are controlling mankind and that in some way we need to bypass. So the Gnostics don't believe in a benevolent God. And uh, their idea is definitely a very twisted idea. The relaunch of the Gnostic Gospels, uh, let's say, was uh, happened frank, thanks to a libtarded Elaine Pagel, Pagels. I don't know if you know about her. She is basically a, an academic, still living, and a professor of religion at Princeton University, who published an enormous influential book, which is known as the Gnostic Gospels, published in 1979. Mm -hmm. I would say that in the last 40 years, Freemasonry has tried in every way possible to bring Gnosticism to a level of acceptance almost. Like, you know, for Christians, to try to explain that these might be the forgotten books, you know, and that we should study them and that they are of great importance and this and that. But then when you go and study Gnosticism, and you see what are the results of, you know, I'm, I was for many years, as you know, in these secret societies. I was a member of the Gnostic Church of Stefan Höller, uh, who is from LA, of course, but his Jan Satter, who was his representative in Oslo. And so I had the opportunity to, for a number of years, study Gnosticism. And like I say in my book, they never really convinced me to become a Gnostic. Because, first of all, I don't believe in this very elitarian. The, the Gnostics are also very elitarian. The fact is that they don't believe that uh, the truth should be given to all. This, this knowledge, this gnosis, uh, um, this knowledge of acquaintance of the divine needs to be bestowed only on the chosen ones for the Gnostics. That's the Illuminati. And, uh, and that's why... It's very difficult for a Christian to approach any form of Gnosticism, including Rudolf Steiner. Even if Steiner believes in Jesus as a man who cares, you know, Jesus as a son of God kind of concept, which who, who materializes in a man, something that Gnostics, most Gnostics don't believe, because also there is the thing that the Gnostics don't really believe in Jesus. They believe in the spirit. <laughs> That, be, that then descends on this uh, guy who at the last minute before he's crucified transfigures to another person, a little bit like in the Quran. So there is also the whole missing part of the crucifixion in their own eyes, crucifying something that was divine was completely unheard of. But... Uh, I mean, I, I can go on, <laughs> of course, but I would like you to maybe uh, give me some more questions that we can maybe fo formulate with. I mean, in the Archontic realm, of course, you know, there is the Setian and Orphic system, this Yadabaoth, which is Yahweh, which is regarded as the malevolent Demiurge. And then, of course, you have the Sun, which instead and kind of represents their own version of a for sort of Jesus kind of figure, but it's not the same thing. It's it's uh, a little bit confusing for, I guess, Christians to view in their entirety all the Gnostic concepts. But let's say that in the end, one of the most influential Gnostic groups was worshipping a demon, a Braxas. So... We can, and then, not only that, the heresies that were present also in Judaism, because like I said, they were not only present in Christianity, they were also present in Judaism, even predating Christianity. Well, those heresies eventually will manifest in what is known today as Sabbatean Frankism, because that was also a sort of Gnostic manifestation, the heresy of Sabbatai Zevi and later on Jacob Frank. So... I think that uh, 
uh, this gives at least our listeners an idea of what they can find in my book. In my book, they will find for the first time what the Illuminati really teach about Jesus and all the lies that they teach about Jesus. Uh, not, so I think, please, please continue. Uh, well, the thoughts that had popped into my head as uh, you were describing this was, uh, well, first, the when I was first introduced to the Ordo Templi Orientis, yeah. And uh, the OTO, and um, these are the for folks that don't know the Eastern Templar. And uh, I went to the OTO's website, and they they blazingly state that they are the the progenitor, the 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 result of the Illuminati, that they are the the following current Illuminati yeah. now. And yes, they were like I explained in my book, Volume Nine. They were, of course, founded by Theodor Royce, who was already in partnership with Leopold Engel since the 1880s to try to bring back the Illuminati. But this uh, co-founder of the Illuminati, Karl Kerner, he didn't really believe that the Illuminati should still have the same name. Because uh, when uh, Adam Bishopt uh, wrote down his uh, teachings, he basically uh, explained that if they started to be persecuted and known with that name, they should immediately change name. Right. And uh, and for that reason, for that reason, uh, uh, he was against Theodore Royce uh, reawakening the order with uh, Leopold Engel, who was another Illuminati guy, uh, in Dresden, and in, uh, in Dresden, and then later on tried to do the same thing also in... In, in in Austria and then Switzerland later on, they they were against this, uh, and so the idea was instead to create a new body of Illuminati under a different name, which was then Ordo Templi Orientis. And uh, the moment in which the Ordo Templi Orientis was created, uh, there was also the involvement uh, of Franz Hartmann. Now Franz Hartmann had been one of the most eminent figures within. Uh, the uh, theosophical movement. We can say that all the foundation, the, the ground foundation of the whole OTO are to be found within, within the, the theosophical milieu of the time, which is also what influenced also, as we know, the birth of Nazism, Ariosophy and all the rest, because uh, yeah. von Liebenfels and all the other, and the, the, the ones that really, I mean, Apparently, out of it, the first time he saw Asvastik, he saw it on a theosophical publication of Franz Hartmann. And Franz Hartmann was also the guy who, who convinced uh, part of the theosophical uh, milieu of the time to start this experimentation of a new age commune in Mount Verita in Switzerland. So the, 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 the actual... Um, Franz Altman was definitely, he died in 1912. He was, he was a sustainer of the Guido von Lis Society, by the way. And he was a collaborator of Blavatsky in Adyar, which was the Indian headquarters that after produces the schism within the Theosophical Society. He was very well known for his biography of Jacob Bohem and of Paracelsus. And uh, like I said, with Karl Kerner, and uh, Theodor Royce, they became the founder of what they saw initially as a sort of academy of Masonic teachings mixed with tantric uh, sexual magical teachings that came from the Max Theon Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor. I don't know if you ever heard of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor, but it's a very important secret society because it's really... It was cited also by Madame Blavatsky because it was right at the foundation of the Theosophical Society. The Theosophical uh, Society, of course, was founded in 1875, which is, by the way, also the year Alistair Crowley was born. And I would say that without the Theosophical Society, probably modern Satanism will not be the same because every single group... When I was, at the time, involved with these people and I was in contact with Michael Aquino, Michael Aquino, the first thing he said to me was, I'm a follower of this Theosophical Society in Adyar and I, that is the main thing I always follow. He didn't say he was a follower of the Temple of Set or, the, or he had been, uh, you know, important in the Church of Satan and all the rest. 
He was fixated with theosophy. And uh, so all these people were involved with theosophy. And Karl Kerner, who is really the guy who gave the spiritual father of the OTO, based a lot of his teachings on the, 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 the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light slash Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor, which are more or less connected. The Hermetic Brotherhood of Light, known also as the Frater Lucis, this uh, they were connected uh, and, and and they were connected also to the Sabbatian Frankis because uh, the teachings of sexual magic came from both uh, uh, Pascal Beverly Randolph, who opened the first Rosicrucian uh, order here in the United States of America, and this guy called Max Theon, who was a uh, Sabbatean Frankist uh, Jewish person who himself became the mentor of Madame Blavatsky. So these things are, are not very well known. So I try with my books to make them known, to explain all the implications of, of, uh, of this word also of neo-gnostics. Also, the great lie of the essence be and the Gnostics being the same, like the essence being Gnostic, it was actually promulgated a lot by Madame Blavatsky. So I think I gave you a kind of introduction in, 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 in what we will be discussing. But regarding the Gnostics, they, let's say that initially the original Gnostics, the, the, the they were in agreement with the proto-Orthodox Christians of the, of the origins. But then, of course, uh, the real the, the Christians that, that now we know as Christians develop from the Catholics and Orthodox and, you know, everything that developed from there then became traditional Christianity thanks to those councils, Council of Nicaea, the, the other councils that followed, including also the Council of Constantinople and other councils that were important to define the faith, the Christian faith, which was not as well defined in the origins. And there is a lot of confusion on what Christianity was in the origins. So I hope that with my book, though, I make uh, people understand the Illuminati is not something that is uh, just born in 1776. These people are basing their own teachings on much older uh, groups. And, uh, um, and there is, of course, in my book, I always have uh, a very historic approach, so I don't uh, give in to speculations. I try to be very much on the sources, and I, and, and, and I kind of like, I'm, I'm happy to say that my books cannot in no way be debunked because I stick to qualified sources that even the academic world will not be able to say anything about, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Well, let's try bringing this to the to the now, to the, the yes. current events. And sure. uh, because as, as you're saying, Nazism was founded through uh, theosophy and uh, uh, you know, Hitler was well yeah, known for running neo, around. Yeah, yeah, let's say neo-Gnosticism, modern Gnosticism was founded uh, through the Theosophical Society. And of course, like you're saying, his influence also the birth of Nazism, because that's how it is. I mean, it's recognized that the birth of Nazism was very heavily influenced by the Theosophical Society. Because, of course, aside from the two Legeschschaft of 1919 and the Germanic Orden, all those people there, though, from the Germanic Orden, they were all part of the Theosophical milieu. So, so currently we have the Nazis doing these rituals, blood and blood and dirt rituals in the Ukraine. Yeah, that's another topic that I touch in my book. I touch in my book, uh, um, it's important to this, uh, actually, it's very good that you made me this question now, because in my book, I have a whole chapter about, first of all, Madame Blavatsky was born in Ukraine, modern day Ukraine, even if it was Russia, of course. And probably if you ask Blavatsky, she would have said she's Russian because the Ukrainian identity was not yet well defined. She was born in Dnipro. So, uh, and, and still to this day, there is a headquarters there of the Theosophical Society in Dnipro, which is under attack. Uh, and, and and what happens is that there is really a war here 
and uh, a world filled with lies. So I wanted to ex uh, expand on this in my book and explain how these secret societies, a number of secret societies, that from the Age of Enlightenment onwards, started to create, pushed by both Poland, Prussia, Germany, in, in that borderland, because Ukraine means borderland, to create a Ukrainian identity that didn't exist. And, uh, of course, you have forms of Freemasonry also that are involved. And, 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 and I talk about also the modern confrontation, the actual contemporary confrontation between the Grand Lodge of Ukraine and the Grand Lodge of Russia. So there is both an historical dissertation in my book as well as a contemporary. And uh, to explain that uh, beyond the disinformation uh, that is uh, fed to us constantly by the media, there is also a very interesting scenario connected to, to how the Satanists are literally supporting officially. The Satanic Temple makes posts supporting Ukraine. The chaos magicians that are basically uh, the chaos magicians uh, connected. I don't know if you ever heard of chaos magic. Yeah. And uh, chaos magic was developed... Uh, uh, in the 70s, and uh, one of the main organization of uh, um, Chaos Magic is the Illuminati of Tanateros. And this uh, Carol guy who uh, is the head of this Illuminati has made the series of official statements since the beginning of uh, the military operation by Vladimir Putin in Ukraine, uh, attacking, hexing, uh, organizing magical rituals. And then they were found, actually, satanic rituals by the correspondence of RT, leftovers of satanic rituals when they first entered Ukraine. There is literally a satanic force at work here. And so I wanted to explain where it came from historically, and I wanted to explain what they were building, because... All this then fits in with their plan to make out of uh, Ukraine the, the first digital nation. Ukraine might not even exist anymore, tell you the truth. It might be a nuclear wasteland in a few years. But uh, thanks to this uh, app, they are giving the basis uh, to the first digital nation. And, and this Michael Fedorov, who is a uh, Ukraine uh, uh, guy in charge of all this uh, digital development, it's it's working with this whole project, uh, which basically, I mean, has has, has made the Davos summit, uh, uh, the Davos summit called the Ukraine the digital tiger last year. So, and uh, the, 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 these these people really believe that they can. Uh, once they win the war in their own idea, Mr. Michael Fedorov is Ukraine's deputy prime minister and minister of digital transformation. And he served in this capacity from uh, 2019 to March 2023. And uh, uh, then he, he was expanded his titles also to, he became also prime minister of innovation, education, science and technology. Why is it so important? Because they are building the first digital prison there. Because these people, with this app, all their documents, ID, credit cards, passport, everything, it's consisting in an app. And uh, uh, Fedorov uh, said uh, that by 2030, Ukraine will be the freest and most digital country in the world, which is a paradox, because I don't believe in digital freedom. I think it's a digital gulag there. They are building don't you think so Prima? oh yeah now elon musk is doing this with x absolutely <laughs> trying to make it the everything and you, we're seeing people line up at the malls to get their digital coin the world coin and they're all going in and having their iris scanned in the malls uh, and uh, at the moment they're starting to gradually like in the last couple of days here in the u.s they did this last week in italy they have uh, the like uh, the useful idiot that shows up on the press uh, saying, "Oh, I put myself five microchips inside, and now I can go to the supermarket and pay without any problem just by showing my arm." And it's so fantastic, and 
it's all cashless, it's all paperless, it's all great. And this is, of course, what Cyber Satan wants. But who is Cyber Satan? And so in my book, of course, I also have uh, later a whole part dedicated to the origins of the Cyber Satan. But going back into the this uh, digital plan for Ukraine that was launched back in 2020 with this DApp. It's not that it was launched uh, after the beginning of the, after the Russians started to invade the territory. Because this confrontation, this war, by the way, started in 2014. And it was known as the revolution of dignity. Now, if in, in my book I explain how this revolution of dignity came around, in the 1990s, Giuliano Di Bernardo, the guy I talked about at uh, the beginning, if you remember, regarding the document, the transhumanist document of Dr. Nicholas Laus and all the work they're doing with the Academy of the Illuminati, he was still in Freemasonry. And he became the guy in charge of bringing Freemasonry back to Eastern Europe, mainly in Ukraine, Moldova, Estonia, Lithuania, all these countries. And after bringing back Freemasonry, he also brought them the Illuminati to Ukraine, and he created the concept of the Dignity Order, which is part of his set of orders. He has like an internal order, which is the Academy of the Illuminati, and then he has an external order, which is uh, created like a knighthood order, which is known as the Dignity Order. They even have a website you can go and check on Google. And uh, in Ukraine, they became so influential that now they, after the, the actual revolution, again, that was the coup against the Russian, that the Russian after started the war because of that, because they started already an infight, you know, in Donbass in 2014. So there was already an ongoing war from 2014, started because of this so-called revolution of dignity. And so you see how much is the influence of these people and uh, of these Illuminati characters within uh, what is happening today in uh, in Ukraine. So I I think that aside from the lies that uh, we are constantly given that you know NATO and the allies the counteroffensive and the winning it is instead a meat grinder where the, the, the Russians are literally killing thousands and thousands and thousands of Ukrainian soldiers every day. And in the end, there will be none left, so they will have to call in, like they already do, foreign mercenaries, which are basically NATO soldiers in disguise. And this war is never-ending. And it's simply built because it's part of this whole plan to push uh, all the modern nations uh, towards the acceptance that basically, uh, you know, you have to fight and rise against Russia because Russia in some way is evil. But even the, the, the fact that Russia is evil is an artificial construct because in reality Russia has done nothing uh, wrong uh, after the, 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 the fall of the Soviet Union. They simply started the, a new trajectory following what were the pacts that were uh, that followed the fall of the Soviet Union, pacts that they tried to respect. Instead, the West uh, wanted to take over the whole show and at the same time wants to oppose the obvious rise of the Sino-Russian New World Order, which I have already described in Volume 7 of my Confessions. Which is obvious. The Sino-Russian New World Order has even recently, a couple of days ago, showed their force here in Alaska. I mean, they're very united. And while yeah. we might be able to sanction Russia, we might never be able to sanction China. Even if they might try, because now that the war in, you know, the, the invasion of Taiwan is, is, is about to happen, they're trying to, in some way, find an alternative. But the alternative are, are, are very few. So in my book, I want to explain how there is this uh, um, Faustinian bargain that most of the Western countries have done. 
and not only the Western countries, because in the end, China also is aiming to have the most powerful AI in the world by 2030. So everybody is trying to build the most powerful AI, but how they are building? They're building it through quantum computers. And those quantum computers, well, they, they might be uh, something that we can control only up to a certain extent. And there is already, you know, they're already developing them. And they are a, a big danger, I think, for the future of mankind. Just as the AI is already dangerous. Imagine the quantum computer AI. Yes. Think of that. Uh, maybe the fiction uh, at times uh, um, surpasses the fantasy, but also there was some fiction on uh, uh, interesting movie, The Prince of Darkness, with John Car the John Carpenter oh, movie. Yeah. You know, remember? Because... Uh, just like uh, today's quantum computers, if you see how they are, I mean, if you just Google Joe Biden, uh, EBM quantum computers, you can go and see Joe Biden last year in front of this quantum computer who was like, and you can notice the similarity with that Prince of Darkness, that entity, that mysterious cylinder with this liquid that was under a church in this film, the Prince of Darkness. And then they called this scientist, this quantum, this expert in quantum physics, and this was done in a time in which quantum computers didn't even exist. So it was pretty visionary, the work that John Carpenter did in that movie. Yes, right up there with They Live. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah, wow, I didn't put that together. I definitely see that. But yeah, the the public is so, so ill-informed when it comes to these secret societies that, I mean, as a small tale, my mom... She was raised in, in in Nazi Germany, and the Nazis showed up at. She was in a Catholic uh, girls' school, and the Nazis showed up, and they went down underneath the the monastery, and they found all these uh, dead babies and sex toys and all of this. And the Nazis brought this back up and showed it to the children at the Catholic school that my mom was there, and said, "Look what these Catholics are doing to you. You know, we're here to rescue you." And so then my mom was introduced to the Nazi youth. So I would bring this up because uh, Pope Benedict, old Ratzinger, uh, you know, I would tell my mom, well, he's a Nazi youth from Bavaria. And she's like, well, I'm a Nazi youth from Bavaria, you know, and I'm like, oh, right. You know, it's kind of hard to, to put him down. But, <laughs> you know, here we have Benedict, uh, the first pope to, to resign in what, 600 years. And then he's replaced by Pope Francis. And not a single person, well, outside of you know people like us, who, who is also the first Jesuit pope. Exactly, in exactly. My point is, uh, you know, like that's huge. Two black popes at the same time. So when when Benedict steps down and we get a Jesuit pope, I'm freaking out. You know, I'm saying, look, world, this is you know these Jesuits. They are the original uh spies they are the original assassins they're they're you know they're they're a dark group that has uh some serious uh order to follow and and here we have a jesuit pope uh so that means the black pope and the white pope are now jesuit and no one's even concerned well uh, i mean uh, talking about anazi influences uh, in my book actually i talk about uh, the Nazi influences upon the Bohemian Club because uh, they apparently are linked to uh, a group, an order which was uh, the Asian, uh, the, the, it was known as the Order of the Knights and Brethren of St. John the Evangelist of Asia and Europe. Commonly, they were referred as the Asian Brethren, which was founded by the cousin of Jacob Frank, Franz Thomas Selvon Schofield. And uh, um, this uh, group had also a lodge in, uh, they had various parts, cities like Hamburg, Berlin, Frankfurt, Innsbruck, and Prague. And they were also connected to the very elusive right of Sat Baha'i, which was created in a way, formulated. Well, the Baha'i, they, they rarely get mentioned. Yeah, and this right gets really, you should... Uh, Go and check it out. Uh, the right of Sat Baha'i was actually a creation of John Yarker, in a, a sense. John Yarker was, uh, like I said, a very important figure because aside from giving Crowley the 30, Crowley had received a 33rd degree in Mexico, he wanted another one that was more regular and he went to purchase it from this guy. This guy was like 
very uh, very much opposing the work of Albert Pike because there were two competing rights. Albert Pike was the ancient and accepted Scottish right. This guy was the ancient and primitive right, Memphis and Misram and all that. But uh, these lodges of the Asian brethren, uh, the, especially the one uh, in Prague, was then connected, uh, which is basically also the capital, the alchemy capital of the world, uh, is indicated by historians as being having direct connection with the Bohemian Club and this uh, quasi Masonic society of Germans, which I don't know if you're probably your mother know, uh, knew about it, uh, the uh, Shalarafia. The Shalarafia is a worldwide German speaking fraternal society still in existence to this day. They have never been in investigated. They should have been investigated because they're very much involved with, also with Nazis. They have uh, over 400 chapters worldwide and around 12,000 members, about which 1,000 reside here in the United States. And this secret society, which was founded in Prague, in Prague when it was still part of the Austrian Empire in 1859, by Adam Weishaupt disciples, had, of course, the owl as their mascot, just as the owl also of the Bohemian Club later on. No? And the, 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 the whole concept of destroying care in the symbolic cremation of care, annual ritual, and all these things uh, that, uh, of course, uh, we know from the Bohemian Club uh, are very much connected to what the Shalarafians do. So today, it was important for me to write about it in Volume 9, because uh, Shalarafia was also connected to Alistair Crowley. And not only that, a member of the Shalarafia was Karl Maria Willigut. I don't know if you know about Karl Maria Willigut, but Karl Maria Willigut was the guy who inspired Eric Himmler with buying the Bevelsburg Castle and then uh, remodeling it as the headquarters of the SS cult. And he was the one who designed the SS honor ring. So pretty much a key figure within the, the, the Nazis. And let's and not that forget... That was the skull and bones? Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the mythical SS ring. And, uh, and, and basically, of course, we know also the connection with the skull and bones, with the grandfather of George W, uh, George w. Bush, who, who financed... Uh, uh, Adolf Hitler, but mainly because they were trying to create an opposition to the Soviet Union, to come to the rise of communism, uh, and uh, and that's why they did it. Uh, but actually, it it, it was like um, like I explained in 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 I think in Confessions of an Illuminati, Volume Eight. Uh, um, the, the actual Minister of Propaganda Goebbels of the Nazis was quite upset when. Uh, suddenly Hitler started to criticize the communists and the socialists so much. Because in the end, especially the communists, no, but they were the national socialists, but they, they, they came from the same roots. Everything that comes from the same roots, uh, which is socialism, is, slash, is, is part of, uh, of, of that uh, communistic uh, ideal. So the, the, Nazis, so the Nazis opposing the communists in Russia, in the end, these two factions came from the same Gnostic beliefs. The beliefs of uh, the, the Nazis uh, in the early days, because they were all connected to the Sophical Society, were Gnostic beliefs. And, 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 and in fact, uh, uh, the guy who gave probably one of the most important teachings, occult teaching to Adolf Hitler, uh, was uh, uh, very much uh, a Gnostic guy, the, the guy who uh, talked about uh, Rudolf von Sembottendorf, who had uh, picked up this, uh, who had been initiated by a Sabbatean, Sabbatean community in Salonico into the Memphis and Misram, and that found this uh, ancient booklet with these teachings uh, regarding the occult use of the Quran and how you can focus your will and then channel the words of, in his eyes, God, but in reality, a demon, which is basically what Adolf Hitler did, because Hitler never had a speech written. He only channeled. Right. And he was capable of 
manipulating millions of people with his channeling because he had learned this technique, which are, uh, if you want, you can go and check it. There's a booklet, which is, uh, I think you can find rather easily on the internet, uh, about the secret teachings of Ottoman Freemasonry. And that is the basis. In fact, uh, all the Nazis, this, the, the Nazi hierarchy officials, the head, the heads of Nazism, like uh, um, Rudolf Hess, but also the other ones that uh, they were in both Eric Himmler, and they were very much known for having always the Koran and a green uh, pencil next to the uh, to the main camp, which is of course the book that Adolf Hitler wrote during his. Uh, period in which he was in, theoretically in under arrest, no? But that was actually the period in which he was building up uh, his occult faction and in which he was learning from Rudolf Hess the secrets that were imparted by Rudolf von Sembottendorf, who was in charge of the German Orden group known as the Thule Gesserstaat. So I think I gave you more or less a good idea of the whole topic Yes, absolutely. And uh, this is a good place to wrap up this first hour uh, to to set the groundwork for the second hour as we really dig deeper into cyber Satan and the alien threat and what's going on now and how things are coming about. We are watching these modern cities being built around us, pre-planned cities. And if you guys haven't looked at my work on these uh, New World Order cities like Astana or Canberra, uh, that they are literally being designed as seals to control demons from Goetia magic. If you look at the satellite view of Astana, you will you can just set it right next to Solomon's grimoire and see that these are Goetian sigils to uh, channel. But you can demons. actually find the Goetian sigils even in the microchips uh, connection, uh, electronic connected uh, connections, you know. To right. create the AI, you, you can actually find them. It's quite incredible. So we're going to dig into all of this, folks. But Leo, you've got some new works coming out now. You are uh, you are now on Band.Video, I see. Uh, tell everyone other than LeoZagami.com, folks. LeoZagami.com is the place to go to get the books. Dig in deep. But tell us all that you got going on right now. Yeah, uh, we have a uh, band of video channel uh, after I cleared a little bit uh, with Alex uh, what uh, had happened because for a while I didn't hear anything from him and I was wondering what was happening. So I, I got some really disturbing information. But then in the end, uh, it was confirmed that basically uh, he had taken off my books out of the Infowars stores, not because he wanted to take them off, but it was actually the bankruptcy guy who is now in charge of the Infowars stores who wanted them out of the Infowars store. Hmm. That's a bit sad because, of course, uh, the situation there is a little bit precarious with this guy who is in charge of the whole uh, show. And uh, I think they had some problems also in having me on. So I said to, 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 to Alex and to Rob Dew, I said, listen, guys, if you want to be absolutely clean and honest with me, you have to tell me what is happening. And uh, they told me that. And they said, oh, we can give you a band of video channel. And I said, OK, I'm going to take that. And uh, if you tell me that I can uh, broadcast whatever I want without any censorship, and they will work on they said no we don't have any restrictions it's just that unfortunately they had to uh, take my books off the store because they have uh, some limited control of their whole platform at the moment because of the bankruptcy but bando video of course helps because uh, it is a platform that reaches a lot of info warriors and um uh, I am still puzzled why the Vatican subject is not, uh, you know, why these people in charge of the bankruptcy are want to avoid the discussion of the Vatican. It seems like that is something they want to avoid on the Infowars platform now. Yeah, I and, believe that. And that is a little bit upsetting, but, you know, in the end, it's, it's you know, like, what, what can I say? I mean, uh, at least we managed to humanly manage to sort, you know, me and Alex, like you, have been old-timers in this work. We have been there for a long time doing this. No? So it's important that at least we clarify each with each other what's been going on behind the scenes. And uh, we managed to 
follow up uh, our work and, 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 and fight together because unity means strength at times. However, I find very difficult uh, the, 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 the situation that, uh, you know, when you get sued left, right and center, like happened to Alex, is a very bad situation. It happened to me in Italy. They were, uh, you know, they didn't want my books anymore in Italy. They started to suing me. They didn't want me on TV, on the radio anymore. Uh, they, they, they tried to use the judiciary to, to silence you. That's what the system does. So I hope that Alex can get out of it sooner or later. I hope that Infowars can survive this whole thing. And uh, at the same time, I continue my work with leosagami.com. And of course, to a minor extent, also with the surviving channels, which I still have uh, set up uh, on YouTube, even if uh, they get closed down and then I keep on reopening them or uh, on Facebook. It's, uh, it's not anymore like it used to be, as you know, but that's what's happening. Yes. Maybe in the, maybe in the fall, if everything goes well, I will be also inaugurating my own uh, Leo Zagami TV, uh, which is something that I've been working uh, for for quite a time with the group of people, and so that might be something in the future also of uh, the Leo Zagami project to also have my own TV. Absolutely, on guys. the web. Yes, we have been trying to go independent for a long time. All of us out here, you know, we were having to rely on these major social medias, the Facebooks and the uh, YouTube and and such, and and you know, trying to to form your own system. I, I I've been thing in... is, you know, we want to avoid censorship, and it's really, you know, for me, for example, I got really upset when it came and that and that what, what that's why it was very good to manage to finally clarify the whole thing with Alex and and finally get back in good terms with him, but. You know, when you have been working so much, uh, especially in the exposure of, of people like the Jesuits, and I did it in Italy, and I did it really in Rome, where the Vatican is based, so I was risking a lot. Yes. And and to have all this censorship, the removing of the videos, the, 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 the constant shadow banning, only because I'm associated with Infowars and everything else, it's been very heavy, man. And so I said, you know, I need at least to to be able to to reach the people without any censorship. So I think that at least at the moment with Band of Video, I am able to do that because it's not like YouTube. I can touch on subjects. I can't touch on on, uh, on YouTube or other platforms that are more censored. And, uh, and and I think like you are doing yourself also, Freeman uh, TV, it's a great idea. And I think that I, I, I will pick up on that myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And folks, you know, it it all stems from you. You support us and we try to yeah. make these things happen. It's <laughs> I say try because a lot of times it's very difficult. I've been uh, attempting to make a number but, of different. But that's books. why that's why also I think the books for me, at least because I'm an author, the books are very important for me because I know that once, you know, especially the the, the, the paperback uh, uh, copy is something that you will be able to keep in your library, regardless of anything that happens in this digital world, which is very unstable. Yes. Remember that. So yes. we're always living on borrowed time here because the advent of quantum computers might lead to all kinds of this of censorship uh, in the coming years. Without question. And we're going to dig into that in the next hour, guys. We'll be getting into the cyber Satan and the alien threat. We all see it happening. I don't know if you guys have seen the reports from Peru of armor-clad goblins ripping these people's faces off. I don't know what to think of our world right now, guys. But we're going to dig into this and find out. So thank you all so much for your support. I hope you'll come over to freemantv.com and subscribe, get all the bonus hours, and mostly become a producer of this program to keep it going. Uh, keep people like Leo Zagami coming through here. So get over to leozagami.com and grab all nine books of Confessions of the Illuminati because this is a guy who knows. It is a guy from the inside, and you really want to have this information on your shelves instead of in the digital realms that is going to be taken over by cyber Satan. So please also come over to freemantv.com and subscribe and keep us all happy and going. This is a, it's quite a world we're living in and we need more voices out there. So thank you all so much and we will see you next week.